0: Hello and thanks for downloading the Charlie Higson and Friends podcast which originally broadcast on Scala Radio a station where we like to have fun with classical music It's home to Charles Nove, Simon Mayo, Mark Kermode and me, Richard Allenson and you can find us on DAB Digital Radio, ScalaRadio.co.uk and on the Scala app Right, over to Charlie I'm Charlie Higson and welcome to another edition of Charlie Higson and Friends. My friend today is someone I've known for about 30 years. He's an actor, a comedian, a competitive dad, an eco-warrior and sometime prog rock genius. It is Simon Day. Hello, Charlie, old friend. (laughs) Hello, Simon, old chum. (laughs) It's great to have you on the show. And as as you know, this is a, a classical music station. Yes. So when were you first aware that there was such a thing as classical music, a type of music that wasn't...
1: Well, my dad was obsessed with classical music. Right. Especially the more strident stuff. Like Uh, what? uh, Marla. I mean, anything, you know, crashing and... Big and heavy. Big and heavy. And, of course, he liked all the sort of military themes, Dan Busters (laughs) and all those sorts of things. But so being a Military marching bands? No, he wouldn't go that far, but, but, <laughs> but he, he, he did love classical music, and so being a rebel, I was like, I don't like this. Did you know? he try and get you into it? Did he play He, you he sort of did, yeah, but I remember I would look through his record covers, because, you know, they were yeah. more visual, and they were, of them were really boring, just a picture of a man or <laughs> a, a baton in his hand, but Peter and the Wolf, you see, I remember once he told me all about that, and, and I sort of got quite into right. that. Well, Peter the
0: and the Wolf is one of those classic things. It's probably not as, as popular these days that the, the was sort of designed to get children into listening to classical music. And, and yeah, again, I, I think my father paid it to me. I think I even went to see a concert of it. Um, for those of you who don't know Peter and the Wolf, it's a piece by Prokofiev that has narration. Yes. And interesting people have narrated it over the years. People, the, probably the most best-known one is the David Bowie one. Really? Yes. David Bowie's done one. Uh, Sophia Loren. Wow. Um, Lenny Henry.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah, I don't suppose you remember who would have narrated the one.
1: Mine would have been early, you know, early yeah. 70s. But I, I mean, mean I, 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 I didn't know, I'd forgotten that it had the narration, which is obviously what drew me into it they were words rather than
0: yes and the narrator sort of says oh uh, this is the wolf and it's represented by the the the, uh, the double basses playing this That's melody right, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. it's a way of sort of breaking down classical yeah. music and, and and Simon your father used to
1: play you that well he, he played lots of classical music I may have dug it out because I saw the picture on the cover but I mean certainly that it's not far away from *Jack and is it? In terms of you know the hush, a bit of music, and then the, the And the, the and, voice. and uh, that's great, the wolf music. Though, isn't yeah, it? very scary. If anything's going to suck you into classical music, that will. And did
0: it did it suck you in, or did no. you carry on? Oh. You carried on oh, rebelling.
1: I, I, I couldn't. It just it symbolises my dad, and I was a rebel, so I couldn't. So I what just, did your what did your dad do? For a job. Yeah, he was an architect. Um, but we sort of found out later on that he didn't really do much architecting. He just sort of lived off various uh, sort of garages and shops he'd be given in London. In, in, so he, he, wasn't, he didn't go to work and sit on a bench, but he did do a bit of architecting. <laughs> Architectural work. He <laughs> was a lovely man, a um, kind man, but on the spectrum, I believe they call it.
0: Right. Now, you know, anyone listening to you... Yeah, would say would say, and you'd say, what 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 was Simon Day's dad? What sort of job <laughs> might he have done? Well, I said, cleaner. well, yeah, intercleaner or a builder or uh, a
1: scaffolder, but no, you. you so you, I was an early early an early mockney People people mock the mockney, yeah, but they don't realise that the mockney was a necessity if you went to a tough comprehensive school, which you did, which I did, and it was such a, a leap from my primary school. Uh, that I instantly had to sort of, one, try and be funny, and two, adopt a slightly different voice, which obviously I couldn't keep up the whole time. But you still can
0: do the, the posh voice when when called yes. upon.
1: I mean, yes. I, I, yes.
0: obviously a, a lot of people know you from the past show. Right? Yeah. And the various characters you did, a, a particularly competitive dad. That's one of people's favourites. Are there elements of your own father in that? Yes,
1: there's a bit of that in there. Um the sort of impatience at not, not you know, things not happening. He's at, he didn't really enjoy that sort of stuff. In fact, there was, was one story where he, I kept moaning about him teaching me to play football, playing football with me, and I'd mm. jump on his back in the chair, and then my mum kept saying, when are you going to tend to play football? And he went, right! And he went and bought a football, and he had a book with pictures in how to play football. As I swear to God, he took me to the top of Greenwich Park, and I just kicked the ball, and it went down the hill. He went, go and get it. And then we drove home. And <laughs> well, That's a seventies dad.
0: Was a marvellous bit of bonding. Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> right. My upbringing was was I, 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 I sort of stayed more middle class because I, I ended up going to, to private school, um, and also I did rebel against my father, but but I did also enjoy classical music, and we sort of learned about it together almost because he, right. he in later life wanted to, to, to listen to more and find out more and we used to drive into school together and, and listen in the mornings. Um, so, you know, there were various pieces that were always uh, good. As you said before about Peter and the Wolf and the Wolf section, it's a great way to suck you into classical music. Mm-hmm. Also, the great thing about Peter and the Wolf is it's is it sort of... Uh, it's a primer on, on how, to do, how to write music for the screen because it's all the different themes that you associate with the characters and you use the themes, yeah. intertwining themes to tell the story. And um, Disney, sort of, uh, with their film Fantasia... Right. ..made a big effort to to spread the word of about Glasgow music. And one of my favourite pieces from that film, which I remember going to see as quite a young boy, is um, Mussorgsky's Night on the Bald Mountain, because it has a huge, great sort of winged demon in it. Uh, and it's a great piece of uh, sort of dramatic, spooky horror music to, that, that, that kids kind of latch onto, rather than say Schubert or Schumann, yeah. which is, a, is 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 more for grown-ups.
1: Did you did you go and see Fantasia as a kid? I don't remember seeing it at the cinema. I've certainly seen it. Um, I remember seeing all the others, but but was yeah, I don't remember seeing Fantasia at the cinema, but maybe I did. But you did go and see Disney films
0: because your next piece of music is from another Disney film, from The Jungle Book.
1: Yeah,
0: why why have you
1: chosen that? I think that was kind of the height of animation in terms of how they look. Everything looked so real, and it was hand drawn. And 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 for me, although I, everyone loves, you know, I'm the king of the swingers and all that. Mm. This particular scene with the snake and the eyes—they had these huge sort of like remember the Vertigo record label, these huge sort of spiraling eyes. Mm. And it was also funny. It was done by this sort of famous American. And he went, at one, one point he goes, hold still, please. It was, <laughs> it was so odd. But it was, I was genuinely like, wow, that is scary. And it's sucking me in and the music comes in. and Yeah, but that, that was the great Sterling Holloway who yes. played
0: Carla Snake, who, who, who did characters in so many Disney films. He had that yeah. great sort of husky voice. Yes. Yeah. And, and the song was written by the Sherman brothers, who I think are two of the greatest songwriters of all time. They wrote so many songs, yeah. huge hit songs for Disney. Not just Jungle Book, but Mary Poppins, a load of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and apparently they were brought in on to do the Jungle Book because the source material was considered quite dark right. for kids. And the, and as you say, they were able to combine humour and spookiness and darkness Yeah. and to make it so it's not
1: too heavy. Yes. There's a, a lot of people my age... I remember I talked to another dad about this, about how they used to show the early Tom and Jerry's to their kids, the <laughs> ones that were produced by Fred Quimby, where it was much better yes. drawn. And it's like, I've done something good today for my kid. I forced <laughs> him to watch something. It's like the old-fashioned. He doesn't really... He can, He's only six. He can't <laughs> distinguish between the two things. Like, yeah. And uh, it's like, you know, it's, it's not snobbery, but, you know, they were just so brilliantly made. So did you share the the, the uh,
0: those Disney films that you watched as a kid with your kids?
1: Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We watched, you yeah. and, and And, in fact, that part of the kids growing up is not too bad because there comes a point where they, they stop watching that or pre-that you've got watched watch Teletubbies. Mm. There, really, there comes a time when you can actually watch all those brilliant films, the Toy Stories, mm. you know, uh, Ratatouille... And they're actually great films, and you don't mind watching yeah. them seven times in a row.
0: I've got a lot of in-depth <coughs> knowledge of children's films of the 90s, because that's what they used to do. you take your kids
1: to the yeah. cinema. Th-
0: there's gaps missing in quite a lot, because I would fall asleep.
1: Yeah, well, my daughter started me wanting to watch those sort of Yoshi-style films, and they, the, they get worse, the, don't they?
0: The anime, what, the Japanese yes. type ones? and I was literally going mad.
1: we, when we As we moved towards Gru... And those the minions. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't like the minions.
0: You don't like the minions. No,
1: not a fan of the minion. <laughs> not a fan of the minion.
0: <laughs> I mean, the interesting thing about about the Jungle Book is is today it would be probably accused of cultural appropriation. You know, well, it was, didn't it? It was, I, I
1: watched the one, um, the recent one, which had Idris Elba doing a voiceover, and, and who's a brilliant actor, as we know, and it's a real art that that uh, voiceover because he's just not very good. <laughs> no, but I'm just, no you know what I mean? It's like it's it's um Well it's a tricky thing, you know, it's it's, very there's hard. a reason
0: why that the, there's a lot of people who do a lot of voices in in animated films, they kind of get it.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure there was a bit with the snake where well, I the whole family were there and I went, Oh god, <laughs> it ruined this scene. <laughs> I mean, it's probably one of the best scenes ever. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> like that, it's not scary. Yeah. He hasn't got spirals <laughs> in his eyes or anything. I'm sure I did that. I'm sure I did. But yeah, yeah,
0: and, and obviously in the new version, you know, in the original Disney version, the you know the voice of Mowgli is very much an American, American <laughs> yes. child. Yes. Uh, there is, and I don't think there's a single uh, non-American. Well, there's obviously English, yes. the, the tiger with um, the great George Sanders, but the rest of them are all American voices and all American characters really imposed yeah, yeah. over it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it is interesting, that area of, of, of cultural appropriation. And talking of cultural appropriation, yes. Madame Butterfly by Puccini. Then again, you know, I, I, is he going to get in trouble? Is Madame Butterfly going to be cancelled because this is an Italian sort of um, orientalist fantasy about uh, Japan and, and what Japanese music sounds like to Western ears? You know, this whole discussion about what you are and aren't allowed to say and what characters you are and aren't allowed to do, I mean, that's presumably something you've had to contend with because you now, you tour a lot doing some of your characters, don't you? Uh,
1: I do, and and some of the material's so old that (laughs) (laughs) I can't do it anymore. No, (laughs) I I do a few things. There's one poem I do by Geoffrey Allerton, who is a 60-year-old northern man who lives on his own or has lived with Mm. his mum for a long time, and he does this poem... He's describing. He's looking out of a train, and he says, "The backs of houses owned by foreigners born here." And the closer you get to London, the more people go quiet. But actually, if you think about it, 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 it that's just how he sees it and how he describes it. It's, it's a re-
0: not... it's a really tricky thing, isn't it? Yeah. When you when you're doing a character and you're satirising a yeah. certain mindset, is to say this isn't me. This is the character, and it's yeah. about their mindset yeah. and how they view things. And it's very difficult for that to be taken. Of course, it's easy to be, for that to be taken out of context, and people saying, "Oh well, little Simon Days being, you know, has got these outdated attitudes or whatever." Yeah,
1: and the worst thing is being, you know, uh, is Alf Garnett, where he did that. He keeps saying, "I did it to show what a horrible person he mm. was," and yet everyone loves it. Have
0: you ever had complaints or walkouts? Never,
1: nothing. All the complaints I've had were not doing Dave Angel, <laughs> which I'm now doing, basically Dave Angel on this next tour for about for, for half the show. Yeah. And there's people dressed as Dave Angel and Deal. When I finished. My brother came and he went. I see two blokes dressed as Dave Angel and they just sort of went off really disconsolate yeah. at the end. <laughs> Hope they didn't throw themselves well, off a the cliff. Well, it's a bit like turning up and not
0: doing your number one hit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's weird, isn't it? It's but the one character I don't do. I, I do did, do him. Well, do him. But do I, can't, I have to change it because global warming is not funny anymore, is it? <laughs> Christ. Yeah, but you were ahead of the game. I know I was. The polar ice caps are melting. Next film, I'll get, I'll get them come up and sticking themselves to me or throwing paint over me.
0: <laughs> Charlie Higson and Friends on Scala Radio. You're listening to Charlie Higson and Friends. I'm Charlie Higson and my friend is Simon Day.
1: So, Simon, the next piece of music you would like is piece of film music. Yes, this is from Once Upon a Time in America. Absolutely brilliant film which must be watched on your own or with a, uh, a person who understands watching films without moving, staring at phones, eating crisps, getting up, so forth. Uh, and it, the music to it is so vital to the actual story. Um, and Ennio Morricone is, is,
0: is one of those composers that everybody knows yeah. and everybody loves.
1: And Yeah, and everyone, sort of, they, they remember his music as much as the film, which is kind of really rare. Very oh. few composers have that kind of uh, profile. But uh, this is just, it's just such a melancholy, sad bit of music.
0: And it's you know it's an interesting film because it's a sort of European's uh, view of America with the Italian music, um, and interestingly they're they're not they're not Italian gangsters in the films. They? No, they're, they're not. They're, they're Jewish gangsters. They're Jewish they? gangsters.
1: Yeah, it's, it's
0: which a, is a weird choice for many uh, from Sergio Leone to do it yeah. that
1: way. Um, and there's the, there was that one bit right at the end where everyone argues that what happened to Robert De Niro. Did he jump in the back of the rubbish truck or not? Or did he vanish? You have to see the film.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, um, if listeners want to um, call in, let us know what happened to Robert <laughs> De Niro in that film. You can set it for Simon. Probably day.
1: Is one of his best ever performances, along with Salvador.
0: Yeah, he had. A, he was big f-
1: quickly, and then disappeared quickly. Yes, I watched him the other day in a film that was recommended, playing a, a cop, a sort of weird '90s cop film, and he was virtually in every single shot. And he was amazing but uh, he's now something of a busted flush, I believe. So, Simon, we met, it must have been late 80s,
0: early 90s, sometime around there. Yeah,
1: then. either we met when you came to see me with Paul, do Tommy Cruckles Live, or when you were working, producing, I think, on Jim and Bob's show, Vic Reeves' show. Uh, I, yeah, it was,
0: yeah. It, yeah it, it's hard to sort of go back and unpick it all, yeah. but you, you were sort of part of... Uh, you and John, where did you meet John Thompson?
1: I met John Thompson, I was doing a gig in Birmingham as Tommy Cockle was in a sort of horrible pub and I saw him do his stuff, which was all impressions, which I thought was great. And then he saw me do Tommy Cockle's. I mentioned Christopher Walken, which he was, a, you know, he's a mad Christopher Walken fan at that point. And then we just started talking, we just got on really well. You know, very similar sort of senses of humour. We were the great double act that never was.
0: Well, you were a double act though, so you. you, you we were, you were in a Jackpot Thing.
1: and Tombola, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, two of us in uh, tight polar necks making funny faces. But you, you,
0: you did a you did a show together with him and uh, Caroline Hern, didn't oh,
1: you? Are you bringing that up? We we well, uh, well, John had won the Perrier with, with Steve Coogan, sort mm. of aiding and abetting Steve Coogan's characters. Uh, it was he, he, was very much sort of 80-20. 80-20. John, you know, was very sort of put out by the fact that Steve had won the Perrier and he and he won it too, but it didn't seem to sort of translate into series offers. And we used to knock around. He knocked around with Caroline, and we said, "Well, let's do a show at at Edinburgh next year." And of course, all the agents were like, "Yeah, you should." You know, and 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 John is not very good at writing and down things down and organising, and I am no good at writing things down and organising, and. Caroline really didn't want to do it. she said <laughs> yes to it. And as we approached Edinburgh, we hadn't done anything. We went up to Caroline's house and we wrote some stuff. I did this thing called Have a Dance, which was like <laughs> the X Factor, but people just did silly dancing and we wrote a little bit more and she wrote something and we opened. We, we, I'll tell you how, how little we'd planned it. We hadn't worked out that while we were off stage, we'd need something going on, <laughs> i.e. music. Or something. What
0: um, going off stage to change into a different yes, character? It was
1: just dead, dead air. That, <laughs> well, how, that was how. was how stupid we were. You know, that's how much we were just enjoying the ride. You know. <laughs> and amazingly, though, you did win the Perrier with <laughs> yes. the show. Oddly <laughs> enough, they assumed it was a minim- stockhausen star minimalist. No, we well, sold out the first night, and there was one terrible, terrible moment where Caroline just walked off stage. She, she just went and just left us. <laughs> and our old agent, lovely John Wood there was a bit of music playing and the whole thing, place was quiet and he just started clapping, trying to sort of make... Oh, it was just dreadful. And we went, sort of sold out, 170, 14, finish. And we just cancelled it, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. But you carried on. We're doing comedy with, yeah. with John and, well, Caroline again eventually. Um, yeah, and, I you know, I was aware... I remember coming to see you in gigs and then you were doing things on... Um, Jonathan Ross's show, weren't you?
1: Yeah, but well, I did some characters on there. We did a show called Zoo. That was 1994. They basically tried to hire everyone in comedy and mm. put them on a retainer, which they did, and lots of producers came and went, including, I believe, you and Paul.
0: Well, we weren't hard as producers, and, and therein lay the problem. Right. It felt a bit chaotic and we thought if we're chaos. not actually in charge of this there's no point trying to be a little bit involved.
1: No, there was someone called it some, I think Jonathan's agent called it Chicken with his head calf show. Yes. But uh, but was it some, was fun and yeah, you know brilliant. it was
0: those days where you could could do the TV could was do under a less...
1: with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Roland Riven arriving <laughs> on a pyramid of vacuum cleaners. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the gap. I don't think there was anything more than that. Jean-Claude Van Damme was just terrified. <laughs> Um, it was live, of course, so that was made yes. even more terrifying.
0: And it was, and it was, it was the days where there was less scrutiny on television, and people yeah. were taking more risks. You and John and Caroline were a, among a bunch of people that Paul and I knew that we wanted to use in comedy, and we got the yeah. chance on the Fast show, and we basically just got in people that we thought were funny. And I think one of the great strengths of the show was the the variety of different styles of. Yeah. Writing and performance and the sort of comedy that everybody liked doing. Mark Williams came from um, a straight acting background. He'd been at uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company. But he he also had just a natural talent for comedy. You had done stand-up and you'd done characters in stand-up, which which not many people were doing at the time. You and John and Caroline. And obviously John and Caroline had met in in Manchester Mm -hmm. um, and had
1: worked together there. She had a bit North and a bit South and a bit of Midlands.
0: Yes, and, you know, she was such a unique talent, such a special person who could do... Yeah. And, and you know, she, you were saying before you did the show in Edinburgh where she didn't really sort of write anything. I mean, it, she didn't really write much for The Fast Show, and what she wrote was very, very minimalist. Yeah. Apart from the, the Janine things, which were slightly longer... Um, Monologues, but she had a real talent for for just pinning an idea down, really succinctly and really quickly. Because I remember every time we did a series, her scripts would come in latest, right? And uh, and she wrote them with um, Craig Cash, Craig Cash, yes, who she also worked with on The Royal Family, and we would wait and wait and say, Caroline, have you got some scripts? She said, Yeah, yeah, it's coming. And eventually, you know, we'd get an envelope with sort of three pieces of paper with some things written in pencil, and you'd look at it, you think, "Well, this isn't a sketch. What, what, what earth yeah. is this?" Like her supermarket cashier, checkout girl. But once she did it, everything was there in in sort of less than a minute.
1: Yeah, she also had that P. K. thing where everyone—I don't like the expression—the common touch—but people yes. loved her absolutely. They, loved Well, her. they
0: did, yes. Yeah. And it's uh, yes, and it, and it is that northern. At the risk of uh, generalising. But there is a strong streak in northern comedy of, of what you could call sort of hobnob humour. It, it, is, it is naming brand names of things and pinning things down very, in a very detailed way. In that, so you have that sort of shared... Experience. Shared experience. Um, whereas I come from more of a southern London... Intellectual snobbish thing, which is about <laughs> wordplay play, word play and intellectual ideas, and I and I very rarely connect with the common man. <laughs> but yeah. you, but you also have a talent for the specific, and that's what I always loved about your writing, because you you would write things that Paul and I couldn't write, uh, and they were and again it was the it was just the specifics of what you're The devil you were is in the details. Well, exactly, and you know your um, you know guy who hangs out in the pub, Billy Beach... Yeah. You know that was all just very well observed. I couldn't have written those sketches or performed in them, but you had that talent for, well, because you had spent a lot of time in pubs, yeah, playing,
1: <laughs> playing free I machines. was that person.
0: But you know, but even even people who come from certain backgrounds and 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 areas don't aren't always that good at spotting what it is that's unique to it and and writing about it well. I think
1: you know the old expression: write what you know it helps doesn't it but uh, but yeah I don't know I've always been a you know as a character comedian you spend a lot of time watching for me it's not mm. it's not, you know doing jokes and just carrying on being funny it's about observing you know I just love people I just think people are so fascinating I'm not particularly interested in, in sort of money or, or whatever or, or economics or but people for me are, are the most interesting thing in the world and, and you know Paul would always used to go to me, oh, I had a great cabbie today, and he would just do the cabbie. Mm. Or, you know, oh, it's a great bloke today in this shop. You know, people are endlessly fascinating and they are all different. Slightly. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> people are all slightly different.
1: No, but you know what I mean, yeah. I just, no, just, I just people. I mean, this, the far show is just different people, isn't it? Basically. Sorry, I say.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and, and, I, and as I was saying, I think it was that variety. You know, John came from more of a he was doing character comedy and impressions and you know he, he, he has more of that sort of musical feel to what he does yeah and that sort of eagerness to to please and to entertain um, but also you know again he was a, like you a very good actor in those the sketches he did with Caroline, which were some of the favorites that of that Caroline did the Ryan Renie, yeah where he was playing the, the 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 henpecked husband and he you know he did that with such. Uh, Again, attention to detail. He
1: has a lot of experience of that.
0: (laughs) Charlie Higson and friends on Scala Radio.
1: The Charlie Hickson and Friends podcasts were originally broadcast on Scala Radio
0: in April 2021 and January 2023. Scala Radio is a radio station that celebrates classical music in all its shapes and sizes and is home to Simon Mayo, Mark Kermode, Charles Nove, and me, Richard Allinson. Scala Radio broadcasts across the UK on DAB Digital Radio, on your smart speaker, the Scala Radio app, and online at scalaradio.co.uk.